0: Good morning, America. Good afternoon, Eretz Yisrael. Welcome to all those joining us for Chaim Aran. We are broadcasting from America, from the home of a very, very close friend, Eli Asulin, and we hope that the zechut of having this shiur in the house today will bring every kind of bracha to the house, including the fabulous wedding that's scheduled to take place Wednesday night this week of Mordechai, Max HaSul, and Yitzhoshim. We're continuing in Chaimaran Aran, in the section entitled Avodat Hashem, paragraph Toph Mem Zion, 447. Rav Zal says, I heard a parable from Rabbi Nezal regarding how important Rabbein Hazal told us it is for a person to pray when their friend is in need, when their friend has a, a crisis, a problem. And Rabbein Hazal says, I heard this from Rabbi Yudel, who was one of the close students of Rabbein Hazal, who heard this, he heard it from Rabbein Hazal. And Rabbein Hazal said it could be compared to a king who had a son who gave him a lot of difficulties. Now, Rabbi was speaking to Rebutel and stressing to him, he said to him that if a person wants to be able to avoid gaiva, arrogance, one of the things that could help a person for this is if the person is mispalel for their friend, when their friend has any kind of a major problem, if you daven for that person, that'll help you overcome gaiva, arrogance. Serebubil asked, it would seem just the opposite, that if I'm davening for somebody else, I'm going to feel gaiva from that, that I'm davening for the other person, that must imply that I'm better than that person. Rabbeinazal said to him, listen carefully. There was a king who got angry at his son, and he told the son to leave him. Afterwards, the son came along, and he appeased his father, he apologized, and the the father welcomed him back. Another period of time went by, and the son again did something bad against his father. And the father again rejected him and, and told him to leave. The son came back a second time and appeased the father, and this happened repeatedly that the son would do something bad. The king would tell him, leave. And then the son would come and appease the king, and the king would take him back. One time this happened, and the king got very angry, and the king started thinking about this situation that keeps repeating himself. And he said, you know, this isn't going anywhere. I keep pushing away, and then he comes, and and when my anger subsides, he comes and appeases me. I don't want this. I don't want to continue this cycle. But rather, I want to be able to push him away in a manner that he will not be able to come back to appease me. What did the king do? He appointed a minister from one of his ministers, and he told this minister, I want you to be like a wall, a partition between me and my son, the prince. that if my son comes, he wants to come to appease me, to apologize, don't let him approach me. Sure enough, this is what happened. The prince came several times, and he wanted very much to appease his father, and the minister wouldn't allow it, because these are the instructions he got from the king. And this happened several times. After a while, the minister saw the desperate yearning that the prince had for his father, how how terrible he felt that he was far from his father and how desperately he wanted to get back into the good graces of his father. And he saw that the prince is suffering from this in a terrible way, that he can't even come to apologize, to appease his father. So the minister thought about this, And he thought to himself, if the prince has such strong, deep feelings for his father, probably the father, the king, also is suffering greatly from the fact that his son cannot come to him. Because we know there's a rule that when somebody wants something desperately, they arouse a yearning in that object that they want towards them. So now the minister started feeling tremendous rahmanas, tremendous feelings of pity. And he started suffering from this because he said to himself, look at this. I'm the problem. I'm the one that's preventing these two from getting together. And I'm causing this deep pain to both the king and the prince. So the minister thought it over and he said, probably there is some kind of a trick that the the prince can use to be able to, to appease his father. Because the king definitely would not set things up in such a way that the prince should be suffering continually and not be able to come to see his father. And in addition, we know the king himself must also be suffering. Therefore, the prince thought it over And he said, obviously, it's up to me now. It's all up to me. I have to go to the king, and I have to plead on behalf of the prince that the king should forgive him one more time, and the king should allow him back into his good graces. And sure enough, this is what the the minister did. He went to the king, and he expressed to the king the, the feelings that the prince has, how he sees that the prince has such a deep yearning and longing for his father. He wants so desperately to be back with his father. And he pleaded, the prince, the the minister pleaded with the king to forgive the prince. Sure enough, the king immediately forgave him and and accepted the prince back and restored him to his original position. And Rav Nossam writes, we could easily understand the message from this this parable, that when a person has a friend and the friend is experiencing suffering, whether it's physical, materialistic suffering or spiritually feeling distant from Hashem, each and every one of us has to say that I'm probably the cause of this. My sins, my mistakes, I'm the barrier I'm the one who is serving as a barrier, separating the king of kings, Hashem, from the entire world. Because Hashem definitely wants to give. Hashem wants to give Shefa, blessing, bounty to his children. However, unfortunately, because of my sins and my mistakes, I have become a barrier blocking this. And therefore, it's up to me to plead with the king, to plead with Hashem on behalf of my friend, on behalf of my friends. And a person thinking this way definitely will not feel arrogant because arrogance comes when a person feels that they're better than the other person, that I have certain qualities and certain abilities that the other person doesn't have. But when a person will start, Thinking that whatever my friend is lacking, whether it's materialistically or spiritually, it's because I'm the one that's blocking. I'm the one that's the barrier preventing Hashem's light from being able to reach that person and from being able to reach everyone. A person thinking that way will definitely not have any arrogance, just the opposite. This will cause the person to let go of any kind of false arrogance that they have, and the person will be zokheh to true humility. Any questions? Rav Nasser, in yes. the chat, please. Okay, just a moment. Question in the chat, in the parable that we gave, it was clear how the minister was the barrier between the king and his son. But how can a person feel this without knowing? Isn't it clear that the friend's problems are caused by what they do and not what someone else does? The answer is no, not necessarily. Because the Torah tells us that when we stood at Har Sinai, when Hashem gave us the Torah, which defines all of our obligations and responsibilities to Hashem, all of us signed. We signed that we are committed to fulfill everything in the Torah, and all of us co-signed for all of our friends. So that any time that any Jew is misbehaving in any kind of way, I'm a co-signer. If that person is building up a debt to Hashem, I'm a co on that debt, so I'm equally liable. And and again, Rabbeinu Zal teaches us for us to be able to to realize that we're far from perfect. And instead of blaming anyone else, which unfortunately many people have a tendency to always see, what about me? That whenever there's a problem, there's a crisis. It must. It I must have a share in that. We know that the Baal Shem Tov told his students a rule that whenever a Jew witnesses another Jew committing a sin, the fact that I am witnessing that, the fact that I am seeing that, is a message to me that I must be guilty of that sin in some kind of a way. And that's why I'm being shown this for me to think about it and realize what my involvement in that sin is, and for me to do tshuva, to to repent. So one of the Baal students once came to him. He had heard about this, and he said, Rabbi, I live in a place where you'll almost never see Chilul Shabbos. You'll almost never see a person desecrating Shabbos. And recently, I actually saw somebody violating the Shabbos. And I thought about it. I thought about my, my own situation, my own life and I can't think of any way in the world that I, I violated Shabbos. I'm so careful, I'm so particular, and I studied the laws very, very well. The Baal Shem Tov looked at him and told him, you're right, you're right, that you haven't violated Shabbos in the literal sense. However, the Zohar Kodesh tells us that the Tzadik is called Shabbos. Just like Shabbos is the source of all blessing for the entire week, that tzaddik is the source of blessing for all of his students and all the whole world. So therefore, you were once present when a tzaddik was being insulted, and you didn't respond, you didn't do anything about it. And therefore, that was considered like Chilol Shabbos, like desecrating the Shabbos. And that's why you witness this, in order for you to know that this is something that you have to correct. So here again, when I am witnessing somebody else experiencing a difficulty, the fact that I'm aware of it implies that there's something I need to do to be able to correct that. It reminds me also of a beautiful thing that I heard from my Rebbe, Rebbe Michael Dorf, regarding the story of the Baal Shem Tov. The Baal Shem Tov tried very hard several times to get to Eretz Yisrael because he wanted to meet up with the Orachayim HaKadosh, who was in Eretz Yisrael at the time, and he knew that if these two get together, they could, actually, they could bring Moshiach. And unfortunately, this was prevented. On his final attempt to get to Eretz Yisrael, the Baal Shem Tov arrived in Istanbul, and at the time there was a decree issued that the following day, he arrived the Balshemtov arrived there before Pesach, and he spent the holiday of Pesach in Istanbul. And on the last day of Cholamoy, right before Shri Shal Pesach, there was a decree. The Sultan and all of his ministers had gotten together and decided that the following day on Shri Shal Pesach, they're going to make a massacre. They're going to murder all the Jews in the city. The Balshemtov became aware of it, and there was another person. There was a tailor. Who worked for the Sultan, and because he had easy access to the Sultan, he became aware of this, and he went to go tell the Jewish leaders of the city about this, so that they, to see what they could do. And in in going to see them, he passed where the Balshemtov was, and he heard the Balshemtov singing. He went in to see him, and the Balshemtov said, <clears throat> "You look like there's something urgent going on. What is it?" He told the Tov, and the Tov said to him, "So what are you going to do about this?" He said, "Me do? What what can what can I do?" He said, "Then why do you know about it? The fact that you know about this problem implies that there's something you can do to help it." And the balshemtov advised him how to get to the sultan's mother, a whole plan which ended up saving the lives of the city. But the critical point here is. <clears throat> the fact that you know about this problem implies that there's something you need to do about it. Now we know that the there's a chapter in Likutemaran, chapter five in Likutemran, which begins with the words Rabbein Azal says that every person has to say that the entire world was created. Only for me. And therefore, if the if the world was created for me, then I have to study and analyze and investigate what the world needs. What does the world need in order to achieve perfection? And I have to see to it to fill in anything that's lacking in the world. Now, let's just pause here for a moment. Most of us who want to be honest with ourselves, i can't even figure I don't, it, it's hard for me to figure out what's wrong with me, all the things that are wrong with me and everything that's lacking inside of me and here I, and 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 I'm supposed to figure out how to repair how to repair i can't even fix myself. you're telling me that I need to repair the entire world and here my rabbi Remichel said. Rabbeinus, the sentence continues, Ule hispalel and to daven for them, to daven for all members of the world, whatever I see lacking, any chisorin that I see, that I can do, that each and every one of us can do. So here, going back to our discussion now, in Chayamaran, Aran, when any one of us is made aware that a friend of ours, somebody, a relative, a friend, somebody that we're close to, that we're interacting with, that they have a problem, a serious problem or a crisis, the fact that I'm aware of it means that I can help. And one of the best ways possible that I can help without any side effects is to be misbelled for that person, to pray for that person. That I can do and be assured that there's no side effects, nothing, nothing bad that will come out of it. One more Moshal, and we'll take questions afterwards. Rab Nassar says, I heard from the same person who had heard from Rabbi Nassar a parable regarding how important it is for each and every one of us to speak to people about coming close to Hashem, about having respect for Hashem. Rabbi Nassar said there was once a very wealthy person who had thousands and tens of thousands of of gold pieces. And this wealthy person gave out, made an announcement that if anyone needs to borrow money to start a business or for anything like that, they're welcome to come and, and receive a loan from me. Probably there were quite a number of people who showed up and borrowed money from this wealthy person and he had a notebook where he wrote down each and every person, the amount that they borrowed. One day, after a a period of time had gone by, he takes this notebook and he starts looking at it, and he sees that he gave out an incredible amount of money in loans, and and nobody's returning the money at all. Nobody's coming to, to return it. And probably he got very upset about this, and this bothered him a lot. We know there's a Pasuk in Tehillim. and I just mentioned this yesterday, last night, in fact, on Motsay Shabbos. The Torah uses the word Russia sparingly. And here it says, a Russia is one who borrows and doesn't return, doesn't pay back. Whereas a Tzadik is one who is always looking to give. So now among the people who had borrowed money from this wealthy person, there was an individual who had also taken a loan and invested the money and ended up losing the investment to the point where he definitely did not have any means to return the loan. And this person felt terrible about it. (laughs) Really terrible about the fact that he had borrowed money and, and wasn't giving it back. And he decided that the least he can do is to go to the person who lent him the money and, and express how terrible he feels and how, how much he regrets that he doesn't have the means right now to return the loan. But but it's not because he doesn't want to. It's not because he has the money. So sure enough, he comes to see this wealthy person and he starts pouring out his heart to him about how he felt so fortunate that the wealthy person was willing to give him this loan at the time and he knows that the date has arrived when he's supposed to give it back and he doesn't have what to give back because he ended up losing the money, bad investment and he just feels terrible about it. This wealthy person saw his sincerity and he looked at him and said to him, This money that you owe me is not making me or breaking me. That's not, that's it's it's so minor compared to all the monies that I gave out, you know, which is thousands and tens of thousands. Therefore, I'll tell you what I want you to do. If you really care, and if you really want to make good, I want you to go to all the people that borrowed money from me, and I want you to do the collection. I want you to go to them and remind them that they owe me so much and so much money. Here's the the, the notebook. And and ask them, why aren't they giving it back? And even if they don't pay back the entire sum, but each and every one of us gives back part of what they owe me, that itself will add up to thousands, thousands of times more than, than the little loan that you took from me and and Zvahanim move on memela that you could understand the, the 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 parable here very very well that each and every one of us we we know that in the shulchan aruch it says chayav chayav a jew is obligated to get up in the morning on time to wash their hands as soon as they get up to to daven all kinds of obligations every page is Chayev, Chayev. The word Chayev means obligated. And the word chayav also means to owe. That we owe Hashem. Hashem is the lender. Hashem lends us life, health, bounty, all kinds of things. And Hashem expects something in return. He expects us to give back nachas, satisfaction. To at least do what Hashem asks of us to do. And when we don't, we build up a a negative balance, a major negative balance. Now, if a Jew is able to go to another Jew and inspire that person and motivate that person to become religious, a person who has moved away completely from Torah observance, from mitzvahs and everything, if a Jew can inspire and motivate that person to start performing mitzvahs, or if a Jew can speak to a person who is religious, who is doing mitzvahs, but without joy and happiness, without excitement, which means the mitzvah is not really accomplishing everything it could accomplish if it were done better. When a person does this, this is considered to be, and, and thereby getting other these other people to return their loan, to fulfill their obligation to Hashem, this is one of the most important things that a Jew can possibly do. The Zohar Kodesh speaks about this in several places. Zako Manda Ochid Beyoda Dechayova How fortunate and blessed is a person who takes hold of the hand of a person who's far from Hashem and is able to succeed in encouraging that person to improve, to, to get close to Hashem. This is something that's stressed very, very much in many places, especially in Rabbein teachings, my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld, was the one where we saw clearly how he took this so seriously, how he had the opportunity, he could have been a Rosh Yeshiva, he could have been in, in any top Yeshiva that he wanted to be dealing with people who are very learned and, and teaching them, which would be a very... Uh, It would be something that would bring him honor, respect, recognition, major recognition. And he chose instead to search for people who were not yet close to Hashem, different levels of distance from Hashem, and to reach out to those people, to teach those people and inspire them and motivate them to reach heights that they never thought they could reach. In, in respect and love for Hashem and love for mitzvahs. Any questions, please? A question in the chat, but wouldn't such kind of talk be considered preaching or proselytizing, as we say? Wouldn't people say, look at yourself, you yourself aren't doing this, so what do you want from me? The answer is, we could spend a lot of time speaking about this, meaning, of course, a person has to first get to a certain level of of observance or of trying to be religious, trying to do the right thing in order to be able to influence others. Or, Or, even if the person themselves is not yet necessarily on that level, But to be attached to someone who is, to be attached to a rabbi, to a tzaddik, someone who is very religious, very successful, and there to be able to bring others to their rabbi, to their teacher, so that even if I'm not the perfect example of what a perfect Jew would look like, or a very good Jew, but I'd like to, I've been privileged to meet somebody who I find is very motivating, inspiring, who's giving me a whole new love for life and for religion. Why don't you come with me? Come, listen, see if you like it. And there's there's a lot written about how this needs to be done tactfully. It needs to be done with, with friendship, not to come off as preaching or rebuking anybody, but coming from a place of genuine love, that kind of thing. Any other questions, please? The next item, Rav says, I also heard from that same person, which was either Rebutel or his son-in-law, or, or the son-in-law of the Trobitzamaget, Rabbi Yitzhak, who is the son of the that Rav was once Speaking to Rab Gershon from Travitzah, and this Reb Gershon was telling Rebbeinazal about how he's struggling. He's struggling with his Yiddishkeit. He's struggling with trying to do mitzvahs, trying to do good things. And Rebbeinazal said to him, "You just try. You just do good." And and whatever good you can do, learning Torah, mitzvah, praying, whatever it is, and if you will you'll focus on that, the good will remain and the bad automatically will fall away. In Yiddish, Rabbeinu said, "Do to in Yiddishkeit getz. Do to in Yiddishkeit. You do things that are part of Yiddishkeit: learning, praying, helping others." Gitz that bleiben, the good will remain, und schlechts that memela are upfallen, and the bad things will automatically fall away. And this is an incredible, very, very important idea in in Rabbeinazal's methodology that we know the the Posse Kintillam says, Turn away from evil and do good. And most people would assume that that's the order. That a person can't start doing good before they get rid of the evil first. And the answer is that sometimes, sometimes that's the way it works. We know, for example, Rabbi Zal speaks about this in Likuti Al-Ochis when he speaks about the holiday of Hanukkah, that Hanukkah, the word Hanukkah means Chinuch, education, or a person starting the process of coming close to Hashem. And on Hanukkah, we celebrate two miracles. Miracle number one was the victory of a very small group of people against a large army, the Greek army at the time, and and the Greek culture at the time, which was very, very powerful in the world. And this small group of people succeeded in defeating them completely, completely defeating them, and being able to, to, to encourage the Jewish people to replace those who had fallen into the Greek culture, to replace that stuff with holiness, with Torah and mitzvahs. That was the first miracle. The second miracle was that a small amount of oil, a one day or less than one day of supply of oil, burned continued to burn eight days. And as these days progressed, each additional day, the miracle was bigger. Wow! This little bit of oil that could only burn for a day is burning for two days. And then the next day, even a bigger miracle, three days, and then four days. And this is referred to as Moisif Vaholech. Keeps growing, getting bigger and bigger. The miracle became bigger and bigger. And the way we perform the mitzvah also, the first day we light one candle, the second day two candles, we... And Rav Zal explains that this teaches us about our relationship with Hashem, that the relationship requires two things. Number one, overcoming evil, getting rid of defeating the Greek culture, which was the opposite of Torah, the opposite of fulfilling the will of Hashem. And number two, within holiness, within goodness, trying to keep growing. Every day more, adding every day. The first day one candle, the second day two candles, so on and so forth. So sometimes that's the method. If if a person's in a good place, that's the methodology. However, there are times when a person, to tell a person to get rid of their anger, to get rid of all kinds of negative character traits or other things, they don't know where to begin. And sometimes the solution is just start doing positive things. Start going to shul, start praying, start putting on tefillin, start observing Shabbos, even a little bit. And the person gets involved in good and the negative, the bad, automatically starts moving away. I don't don't often speak about personal experiences, but I remember as a teenager, when I met my rabbi, Rav Rosenfeld, I was about 16 years old at the time. And at that time, I was in a modern orthodox school. And on Sundays, specifically, we had half a day. On Friday, we had half a day. It was only Hebrew studies. On Sunday, we had half a day. It was only secular studies. And I'd come home 1 o'clock, 1.30, have lunch, go out to play ball for four, five, six hours, Come back, have some dinner, <clears throat> and then possibly watch TV for a couple of hours. And when I started going to the rabbi's classes, he never spoke about he never spoke against playing ball. He never spoke about not watching TV. But I remember he was teaching Torah, and and more and more he he made it interesting and important and exciting. You know the Torah, the mitzvahs, the religion gradually, gradually, I started playing a little less basketball, watching less TV, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It was a, a natural, gradual process of getting into a much better place. I'm not saying that playing basketball is a sin, chas A person needs exercise, a person needs enter- entertainment sometimes, but there was a major imbalance at the time. And and again, just showing that without having to say don't do this or don't do that, by simply presenting the good, automatically things that were less good became less important, less significant in my life. A question in the chat. Some words of goodness and direction to people, to a non-Jew or a Jewish person, doesn't help without the preacher mode. Knowledge is powerful and helps to chip away with the hope <clears throat> and to get a smile. <clears throat> it, it's, it's Again, each case is different, each person is different. Rabbein here is giving incredible, important advice that can help us succeed in, in many, many instances. Any other questions, please? The next item, <clears throat> not related in any obvious way, Rav Nosanzal writes, I heard from the rabbi of the city of Breslov, Rav who is who was the city of Breslov, who was one of Rabbi Nachman's close students, that he was once traveling that, that Rabbein Zal was once traveling and he was davening Shachris and the Ashkenaz custom, when a person is saying Tachnon, the paragraph of Tachnon, we put our head down on our arm for that paragraph. And Rabbein did it on his right hand, as is the custom. It appears Rabbein was right-handed <laughs> Which means he put on his tefillin. The tefillin Shalyad was put on the left hand, so he so he put his head down on the right hand, which did not have the straps of the tefillin wrapped around it. And Rav Satya Gaon, one of the greatest rabbis who lived after the time of the Gemara, after the the the, the Talmud, the Gemara was sealed during the era of the Gaonim. It was called the Gaonim. <clears throat> which is before Rashi, before the Rambam, Rav Sadiegon came to Rabbein in a vision, and he said to him that even during Shachris, a person should... <coughs> now we know that the custom is to, to recite this tachnun this Nefil both in the morning at Shachris when we're wearing tefillin, and also during Mincha when we're not wearing tefillin. So when a person is not wearing tefillin, <clears throat> there are many people who put their head down on the right on the on the on the left hand. But on shachris, those that are right-handed who have tefillin straps on the left hand, <clears throat> they put their head down on the other hand. And rav Sadia Gon said to Rabbeinu that even during shachris you should put your head down on the left hand, meaning the hand that has the straps of the tefillin on it. Interesting to note that it doesn't say that Rabbi Nizal told his followers to do this. <clears throat> and therefore, in breslov itself, there are different customs and different opinions regarding this. <clears throat> My Rabbi Rav Rosenfeld, we saw, who was right-handed <clears throat> in Shachris, he would put his head <coughs> on his right hand, again, which is the custom that most people have, because not to put it on top of the tefillin straps. During mincha, he would put it on the left hand. There are others <coughs> that do as Rav Sagigon said here, and Rebel Yochaim Rosen, one of the leading rabbis of the previous generation, <coughs> he would put both of his hands together to sort of accommodate both opinions. But interesting to note that Rav Sadiegon, who lived maybe eight, nine hundred years before Rabbein Azal, Rav came to Rabbein Azal and told him what to do regarding this item. The next paragraph, Toph Memtes 449, there was a person who was telling Rabbein Azal that unfortunately He's committing <clears throat> major sins and often to the point where he feels he's totally incapable of stopping himself. And Rabbi said to this person that there is a concept of hiskashrus. Hiskashrus means binding oneself, concentrating and pulling, pulling oneself together completely, completely. And Rabbi Nezal said to him, that if you'll do this, you'll be able to overcome all of your issues. And Rabbi Nezal didn't explain this. He didn't explain exactly how it's done. <clears throat> Rab Nezal adds here that we can understand this a little bit. And this is actually an incredible piece of advice for a person who wants to make a major change in their life. And here there's a footnote, take a look in Likute Halachas, Hilchas Rosh Chodesh, Halacha Vav, where, which is one of the longer Halachas in Likute Halachas, where Rav Nassim Zal ad- speaks about this a little bit, he elaborates about this. <clears throat> I'm traveling now, and I didn't have a chance to look at it recently, I did look at it a short while ago, and maybe for the next year. We'll elaborate on this a little bit more. But what what Rav says there basically is that a person does have the ability to pull themselves together. There's an expression, scatterbrain. A person says, I'm all over the place. I'm here, I'm there. If a person wants, they can take some time out, could be even a few minutes, to, to get myself together, to pull myself together. And and to to stop being all over the place and concentrate a little bit on where am I going? What is my life really all about? And do I want to continue living like this? And a person pulling themselves together as much as possible and wanting to connect to Hashem, this hiskashrus, this pulling, getting my different pieces to unify, to to become one. And plug in Tashem, this is one of the ways that a person could affect a, a very healthy, major change, improvement in our lives. The next paragraph. Tafnun 450. This takes place shortly after Rav Nassim met Rabbein Nezzal. And it was after Shavuos, and Rabbein Nezzal told the following story. He said that one of his followers, one of his students, for years was thinking about Olam Chaba, about the future world. And he wanted very much to speak to Rabbein Azal about this, and he never had an opportunity. And nobody knew about this, that this is what he had on his mind. And and this went on for a couple of years. That Shavuos, Rabbein Azal said, this student was here for for the holiday of Shavuos, which was one of the times that people would come to Rabbein Azal. And he dreamed that two people had arrived and between the two people it looked like one of them was the more important and the second one was the less important. That the second one came because his friend was a much more important person had come. And I asked them, what are they doing here? And the more important one said that this particular one of your students has forced me to swear by a se- while holding a sefer torah that i'm going to come and i swore and that person told me that this is what he's thinking about he's thinking about olam haba all the time and then afterwards when this student came to ravenzo after the holiday and he was about to leave Rabbeinazal said, I told him what he's been thinking about all of these years. And and this person was shocked. And in a way, he was elated. He was so happy with the fact that Rabbeinazal knew what he was thinking about. The next paragraph, Tafnun Aruv, 451, Rabbeinazal says, I found a manuscript of, of from my friends, Rabbeinazal students, <laughs> where it was written that Rabbeinazal once said that it's it's better to speak to one's friend about serving Hashem. Because just like we find that there's a Pasuk in Mishle that says give beer or some kind of intoxicating beverage to a person who feels totally lost and wine to those who are feeling bitter. So too, when a person speaks to another Jew about Hashem, about religion, that also is something that can elevate a person in a big way. As it says, in again, in Mishle, when a person has worries in their heart, the word Yashchina has multiple meanings. The Gemara says in Yuma, talk to other people, talk to a close friend. When a person is feeling down, feeling distant from Hashem, to talk to a close friend. However, just like when a person drinks a little bit of wine, that elevates the person. And when a person drinks too much wine, they get drunk and that can destroy them. So too, so too, when a person is speaking to another person, if if there's at least a little bit of truth in what they're saying, even if there's some arrogance involved and there's some things that aren't a hundred percent true still that can elevate the person whereas if has the the things a person's saying are not true at all it's just arrogance it's just this person presenting themselves as if they're a very righteous person and they're preaching to the other person and then when he leaves that person he goes ahead and does all kinds of terrible sins and stuff. Those words will not have any positive effect on the other person at all. But rather, it'll be like a person drinking a lot of wine, which doesn't elevate the person. That it has the opposite kind of effect. So, here again, when a person's trying to encourage another person to come close to Hashem, to do the right thing, Even if the person who's speaking is far from perfect, they're not perfect, but there's at least a little bit of honesty and sincerity in what they're saying, then it could help the other person. Whereas if it's just fake, completely fake, and just the person trying to make believe that they're a righteous person, then then those words will not have any, any positive effect. The next item is a one-liner, but very, very powerful. Tufnun Beis, 452. Rabbein Azal said, Hashem is always good. Got is Tomid Git. Hashem is always good. And again, this is something that we need to hold on to. Certain times when people are going through all kinds of difficulties and the the Yetzirah the Sultan wants to try to to put hashem in a negative light and a person could remember this statement coming from a real authority that rabbenan is saying that hashem is always good sometimes we see it sometimes we don't any questions The next paragraph is one of the outstanding, well-known paragraphs in Chaim Aran, where Rabbein makes a very, very important statement. Rabbein said to his students who were close to him, <clears throat> and who realized, to whatever degree they could, what kind of level Rabbein was on, he said, <clears throat> in the manner that you look at me, and see me, and respect me, and you consider me a complete tzaddik, a tzaddik Gomor Despite that, you should know that if I would commit a major sin, the most major, the worst sin, <clears throat> it would not throw me into depression. It wouldn't. It wouldn't knock me out. But rather, I would be able to go back to being the same religious. Person as I was before. It's just that afterwards I would do chuva, I would do a real sincere chuva. And and in Yiddish Rabbenazal said, hot zed that based on the, the, the way you look at me with such respect, ich de gresta were I to commit the worst sin, it would not throw me down. I wouldn't. It wouldn't cause me to stop doing mitzvahs, to stop learning Torah, to stop praying. I would continue being the same exact religious person I was before. That's number one, and and afterwards I would do a real sincere tshuva. And this is an incredible important point. There are people who think. That that when they fall, when they when they do something terrible, terribly wrong, that that now I can't just start doing mitzvahs again. I have to wait, or have to. And and Rabbeinu made it perfectly clear that that's that the the right attitude is I I veered off course. First, get right back on course, and regarding the the terrible terrible mistake that was made. It does require an apology. It does require tshuva. But don't allow that to be a reason to disconnect from all kinds of other good things that you were doing and could continue to be doing. The next item, Tafnun Dalet. Rabbein Azal said, there's going to come a time when a person who will be a simple religious Jew will be as unusual, as extraordinary as the Baal Shem Tov. And this is telling us, this is describing to us how the, the, the Torah speaks about Yeridas Hadoiris, that the generations, as we move away from the time that we had the Beis Hamikdosh, as time goes on, the generations keep going lower and lower. And, and Hashem becomes more and more hidden from us. And people, unfortunately, the, the level, the spiritual level of people becomes lower and lower. And Rabbeinu wanted to make us aware that there'll, there'll come a time when a person who will be a simple religious person, meaning know what the laws are and fulfill the laws and and take take religion seriously <clears throat> that person will be as exceptional as the Balshentov who was one of the outstanding tzaddikim during his time we find a sort of similar statement by the Arizal who lived over 200 years before Arizal during the 1500s the era of the mukubalim and when Reb Chaim Vital came to the Arizal, Reb Chaim Vital was a, a very great rabbi and a holy person even before he came to the Arizal. But the Arizal opened up to him brand new vistas of closeness to Hashem, the, the, the secrets of Kabbalah, the Zohar Kodesh, everything. And at one point, the, the, the Reb Chaim Vital came in to see his rabbi, the Arizal, and the Arizal stood up for him. And Reb Chaim Vital looked at this and said, you know, this is absurd. You know, I I don't compare in any way whatsoever to to the rabbi. Why are you standing up for me? And he said, I'm not standing up for you. I'm standing up for the soul of Rabbi Akiva, which has attached itself to you at this point in time. And Reb Chaim Vital, who had extraordinary humility, said to the Arizal, how could you say such a thing about me? How could you put me in this... And the Aretha said to him, you should know that today, nowadays, because the generations have become so much smaller, <laughs> a person today trying to serve Hashem with real sincerity and simplicity can, can achieve levels of tzaddikim of hundreds and thousands of years ago. It doesn't mean that the person is equal to them, But it means that the person can tap into, can connect to those incredible high levels. One final item. A little bit on the humorous side, but uh, very serious also. Tafnun Hay 455. Rabbein Azal said regarding Shel shelsteker, which exists today. The word mafursa means somebody who is recognized, who is given recognition as being a very important person. But Mafursanam Shalshekra means people who don't really deserve it. They're not really what they appear to be. They could appear to be great people. And unfortunately, it's only on the it's only on uh, external. Inside, the person could be rotten or different levels of rottenness. <clears throat> Rabbi Hazal said, there are times that these mefursamim shall sheker, it appears to them as if they're able to perform miracles, as if they're able to do things for people, extraordinary things. For example, a couple will come to them who haven't had children, and they come to this mefursam saying, please, can I have a blessing, a bracha or can you, that for, for children? And afterwards, <coughs> that couple will have a child. Their, their request is fulfilled. And, and the person that they went to thinks that they're the one who, who brought this about. And Rabbi Nizal said, this could be compared to a person who's going in a forest and he sees a wolf and he's terrified. The wolf notices him and he knows that he could become that wolf's breakfast or lunch. But he doesn't have a weapon with him. He has a stick with him. So he takes the stick and holds it like he's holding a rifle. Make, makes believe he's holding a rifle. As if he's going to shoot the wolf. Said <clears throat> so the wolf should get frightened in case this wolf has seen hunters and knows them. He doesn't realize that there's somebody standing behind him. Holding a rifle. Who actually pulls the trigger and kills the wolf. And now this person who is holding this stick. And making believe he's got a rifle. He says, Wow, I'm a, I'm a magician. I pointed my stick at the wolf and, and I killed him. And he doesn't realize that the one that killed the wolf was not him, but it was this other individual who did it with a real rifle. Because you can't kill a wolf by, by pointing a stick at him. And Rabbi Nizal said here too, it's a similar kind of thing. There are true tzaddikim in the world, in every generation. And these true tzaddikim are able to accomplish miracles through their tefillah, through their prayers, and all kinds of very good things. And everything going on in the world is being affected by the actions of these tzaddikim, these great tzaddikim. And these mefursamim shal sometimes it's made to look as if they're the ones who are accomplishing these things. They're the ones who are doing these things. But Rabbi Nazan said it could be compared exactly to this person who, who said he killed the wolf with his stick. Because really, it's only the true tzaddikim, they're the ones who are accomplishing all of the really good things and the miracles that are, that are being performed. And what these other people are thinking is is not real we should be we're living in, in an oilana and the torah tells us this the Gemara says that there was a king yanai amelech who told his wife he was about to pass away and he told his wife the queen that there are three categories of people two of them you don't have to worry about the third be very careful sadikim righteous people and rishonim wicked people those two you don't have to worry about the third category, tzvuim, phonies, people who present themselves as if they're righteous, good people, but they really aren't, that's the category you have to really be careful with. We should be Hashem should give us clarity to be to know who are the true Tzaddikim and to try to make every effort we can to come close to them, to these true Tzaddikim, to their students, to their Sforim and be to be saved from hashechan zvim people who are who are not not dishonest hashechan and and we should be that the truth that through their felois through their mitzasmisen tovim should bring about the final Gula, the the complete and final destruction of all the enemies of Klay Israel and the geula shlema with the coming of moshiach ben harel ben amenu amen Any questions before we close? Wishing everybody a wonderful week. Looking forward, we'll have the next Shirin Chaim Aran, hopefully next Sunday, and we will have the Likute Elohim Shir on Monday morning and Thursday morning, Eretz Israel time, 8.805 a.m. Looking forward to to continue the position. All the best.